So once again, I start with a reminder that we are in the season of Lent, that season where we especially focus on Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. And this year, as we make our way through that season, we've been doing so using a sermon series designed out of uh, Reformed Worship Magazine by a pastor named Rob Kornstra entitled Fulfilled. It's a series that looks at the various feasts and festivals of the Old Testament in order to see how they were fulfilled by Jesus Christ and his work for us at the cross. We've already looked at the Feast of Passover. We've looked at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and last week we looked at the Feast of First Fruits, which leads us this week to look at the Feast of Weeks. It's laid out for us in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 through 22. I invite you to turn with me there if you want in the Pew Bibles, or the scripture text will be on the screen behind me, or it also has been printed out in the back of your orders of service, whichever way you find easiest Uh, Please follow along as I read again from Leviticus chapter 3, where this week we will be looking at verses 15 through 22. Continuing to describe the various feasts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we hear these words. It says, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread... Seven lambs, a year old, without blemish, and one bull from the herd, and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord, with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering, and Two male lambs, a year old, as a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Maybe it's just because I have to lead the whole service and the fact that Pastor Patrick is up at the winter retreat this morning, but it just seemed like there's a lot going on this morning to try to keep track of and follow along. We're in the season of Lent. We've got the anniversary of the coronavirus going on. We have all of the details of the service with new prayer requests taking place. But one thing I haven't yet mentioned is the fact that we had a time change this morning. 
And according to our body schedule, we're here a whole hour earlier than we normally are. And as someone who teaches Sunday school before church, every Sunday morning I'll ask my 8th grade students, how you doing? And their usual response is, tired. And I tell them that this is the one week where that response is acceptable. You're allowed to be tired this week because you're here an hour earlier than you were supposed to be. and, And thank you for doing that extra work of getting here this morning. I don't doubt there's a few extra online today because that hour was so important that they figured, well, let's just watch it online and, and not go through all of that effort. And as I think about that, that was just a very minor example of something that I was thinking about through this week. And that's the fact that sometimes... Uh, we are asked to do hard things as, as Christians. You know, in our bodies and in our desires in a society and even among friends, we see things that are going on and, and there's a pull toward that and we think, I want to do that. That's where I would like to go. Those are the decisions I would like to make. That's the life I would like to live. And yet, biblically and emotionally and mentally, we know that we're not supposed to go that way. We're supposed to go the opposite direction. And in that tension between what we feel pulled toward doing and yet what we know isn't right, it can feel very hard to actually do the right thing. It can be hard to come here each and every Sunday, especially when we're asked to come here an hour early. A lot of us don't like to go to the evening services because it's hard to get dressed again, to get all together, to make our way out and do a whole nother service. It can be hard for students not to cheat when they haven't finished their homework or they're not quite ready for their test. And there's the opportunity to do that right there. It can be hard to show restraint in our actions, in our dating relationships. It can be hard to stay sober when our friends enjoy or relax through drinking. It's hard to stay committed to our marriages. It is hard to do what we were asked last week, and that is to give of our finances and our hard-earned money toward different causes. And I could go on and on and on. There are times that the right thing to do feels like a lot is being asked of us. In fact, it can almost feel like it's, it's too much. It's, it's more than what we have. And again, like I said, I was, I was contemplating that just because of certain circumstances of this week. But, but also as I thought about and, and began reading over this Feast of Weeks, a festival that we're studying this Sunday. So the Feast of Weeks is actually a feast that, according to the Jewish tradition, has a whole bunch of different names that are associated with it. Uh, Most of those names come connected to the timing of when this feast was celebrated, which is actually where our text starts and telling us when they were supposed to celebrate this feast. So having seen the last three 
feast that we've studied all crammed together in that first month, that new month for the Jewish calendar, all happening in the same week. As soon as those events are older, we are told in verses 15 and 16 of our text that the community was to start counting. They were, as it says, to count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. And so, after that week of Passover and the unleavened bread and the feast of first fruits, the people were, were to count. And they were to count seven Sabbaths or seven weeks, which is where we get the name the Feasts of Weeks. But it's the day after that seventh Sabbath, so it's the 50th day, which is where the another name for this feast was the Feast of Pentecost, which means the 50th in Greek. The feast was also called the Day of First Fruits. So last week we had the Feast of First Fruits, which, as was explained to us, was where they took the very first of the spring barley harvest and they offered that beginning of that harvest in sacrifice to God. Well, as that barley harvest started around this time of the year in, in March or April or the end of February, uh, 50 days later would actually be the start of the wheat harvest uh, around the end of May, beginning of June. And so once again, they were to offer up a, a first fruits of that. So we get the name the Day of First Fruits or a, a related name, the Feast of the Harvest. Recognizing what God had done already in the barley harvest and starting and preparing for this new wheat harvest. The feast was also known as the conclusion. Because with the events that started with Passover and then those, three, those two other feasts, they continued to count from that moment till we get to the conclusion the Feast of Weeks, the end of what would be considered the Passover season. And with that, we also learn from our text how to celebrate this feast. Like at the Barley Feast, we see that the people... <coughs> Excuse me. We see that the people had to present some of the first fruits as a gift to, uh, to God recognizing them gifts from, from their wheat harvest, this time, however, as fully baked loaves of bread offered up as their offering. And with that, uh, there's a lot of the same meaning behind the offering as we saw at the Feast of First Fruits last week. It was another reminder to celebrate the fact that God had given them this land that God had initiated this new harvest. As we said last week, it was an opportunity to show thanks for what he had done and trust that he would continue to provide in the future. It was another reminder that as they went about their work, they were not working for themselves, but they were being called to work for God. In addition, there were also several sacrifices that needed to take place. Not only did they present the bread, but the text also mentioned sacrificing seven lambs, one bull, two rams, one male goat, two male lambs, all as burnt offerings, 
sin offerings and peace offerings. So throughout Leviticus, not only do we have these festivals, but we have these regular offerings that were supposed to be taking place, divided into different categories. And at the Feast of Weeks, a lot of those categories come together. And so when they return to Jerusalem, there's a number of different sacrifices that were all supposed to take place at the same time. Additionally, as a part of this feast, they were commanded to take a day off. This was a holiday. This was a a festival. It was a day of celebration, so no ordinary work was to take place, even though this would have been during the middle of the harvest season. And then we finally have a repetition of another command that had already been stated in Leviticus. In the last verse, in verse 22, this command that when they do continue their harvest, they weren't supposed to get every single last little bit of grain from it. They were meant to leave the edges of their fields alone, and if they didn't get anything on the first time through, they weren't supposed to go back and pick up everything that they missed and to to gather the last little bit. And the purpose of this was so that those who were in need had an opportunity to, to glean the rest of the harvest. Now, Even from the first time of reading through all of that, and the many details that were involved, I right away try to put myself in the shoes of of the first hearers of what this feast was all about. And as I did, I couldn't help but have two questions kind of rise up in me that that caused me to wonder about. Uh, First, I would imagine that after having celebrated the Feast of First Fruits, when they're told to count seven weeks and then to come back and make this offering a similar offering, it seemed to raise up the question again? You know, we, we can get the point of the Feast of First Fruits a new season of spring, a new harvest. But to revisit that whole thing just a a few months later, in reality, with a lot of the same meaning behind it, there's a certain temptation to ask, again? Didn't we just do this a little over a month ago? We we get the point. Yes, we we thank God for the, the Passover, that idea of him setting us free from slavery and sparing our lives. Yes, we appreciate the gift of the land that God has given to us and the, and the call that he gives to us as his set free people. But, but we do we need to have another feast to remember all of that. Why couldn't we have just thanked God for the Passover and setting us free and kind of moved on with our lives? Why do this again? The second question revolved around a word that stood out to me in this text. It's a simple word, but it repeats itself a lot of times in this text, and that's the word and. And I couldn't imagine the original hearers reading through all of the details of this feast without starting to ask the question, and? And? As they heard item after item after item, sort of asking like, wait, there's more? 
Once they've brought the first fruits bread initially and, and, and figured that out and had that all and offered that up in the offering, we are told that with that, they also had to bring seven lambs and one bull and two rams and one male goat and two male lambs. It's a lot of ands. That's a lot of things that they had to bring and to offer and sacrifices that they had to make. And that's asking a lot. It's hard to, to give up that much. Now, this is where I want to admit that with those two major questions, that I also had some, some sub-questions that I wondered about, but unfortunately was unable to find the answer to. For example, I couldn't find the answer to the question, well, who had to bring all of those animals? It can be anywhere. In an initial reading, it seems like every household was asked to bring each one of those things, which would have been an awful lot. But I'm not sure if that was for every household or every clan or every tribe or even just the whole community of Israel that in addition to the loaves of bread that... So there were fewer sacrifices, but I, I couldn't find an answer to that question, admittedly, even though I looked. I also had wondered about, well, what happened with all of that meat? Um, I, we know, for example, that a lot of it, or some of it, was completely burned up as an offering to God, but some of it was eaten. Again, this is a feast. There's a specific reference to, to a pleasing aroma to God. This would have been a, a barbecue odor in the air. And some of that food was eaten as a, a celebration, as a time of coming together. But I don't know how much. Additionally, we are also told in verse 20 that in particular, some of the food was meant for the priest. And so what would happen is as these people brought these sacrifices, priests who had dedicated themselves to service in the temple and therefore weren't able to grow their own food or, or work in their own land or have their own animals and crops, these offerings were given to them so that they could be sustained, supported, and, and have food for themselves and for their families as in response to this offering. So they kept some but again, I wasn't able to find how much of what fit into all of that. But, but regardless, I go back to those two fundamental questions that they were asking. You know, it just, in a cursory reading of the requirements of the feast, the long list uh, for the longest list of details for one of the longest uh, periods of time that we have, I, I couldn't help but wonder if they asked. Do we have to do this again? And isn't that an awful lot that you are asking? But as I was asking myself those questions, I actually think they drew me toward an appreciation for what these, this feast was all about. Not only for them back then, but also for us today, having been fulfilled in Christ. So I start again with that question Again? And as I asked myself that question, the answer I got was, yes, again. If it is true, as I suggested from the start, that it can feel like some of the things that we are asked to do in our relationship with God is hard, 
that oftentimes we feel drawn and pulled toward things that we know we shouldn't do and yet are attracted to them, if that is true, well, I know for myself that in order to stay committed to doing the things that I am supposed to be doing, I need constant reminders and constant support. And I can think of all kinds of examples where I've read in a book a teacher that just gives me great ideas or I heard a sermon or a seminar where the person up there was just opening up God's word and challenging me in a new way and I couldn't help but think, yes, I appreciate what they're saying and I am feeling excited for what I'm being called to do. And yet, Walking away from those events or setting that book down, oftentimes it doesn't take but a few hours. And the busyness of life and the obligations of routine start to overwhelm me and I literally forget everything that I had just heard and the new commitments that I had made and the things that I had been called. And because of that, I know for me personally, and unless I'm unique in this and I don't think that I am, that I do need those regular reminders over and over again of who I'm being called to be. That we don't just get to celebrate the freedom we find in Passover and say, yes, we're done. But in order to live the lives that we are called as those who have been forgiven, I need that regular support, that regular encouragement, that reminder over and over again. But beyond that, I was also convicted by that question again. Because, yes, again. I think in our world, we can take for granted the fact that the paycheck's going to be there, whether it be every week, every other week, or once a month, or once every harvest. We know the money's going to come. We can take for granted that there's going to be food on the table whenever we're hungry. That there's going to be clothes in our closets whenever we want to be dressed. That there's going to be money in the bank account when we want to go shopping. Not just for our needs, but for our wants. And in taking that for granted, we can forget to thank God for all of those new blessings. Every morning that we wake up, Every meal we eat, every paycheck we receive, every day we learn something new is all another new opportunity to recognize and to thank God for that new gift. It should be a reminder of God's ongoing faithfulness to us. And we should never be so arrogant or spoiled to be like, I thanked God for something like that yesterday. I don't need to do it again. And in speaking of the faithfulness of God, I was further convicted by that question of again when I would wonder it, what it would be like if God asked that question of us. If God was like, well, you want rain again? You want to be safe in your travels as you drive all over the place again? You want to have another healthy child you want to be forgiven from that sin again? Again? Now when you put it like that, sounds kind of absurd. That, that, 
that doesn't fit with the character of our faithful God. How much do we approach God over and over again for the same things? And rather than him saying, I've already done that for you. He in his love and faithfulness continue to pour out blessing after blessing. And so rather than complain, again, do we have to go through this once again? We do need to remember that we need those regular reminders of what it means to be faithful and the encouragement to always recognize every good gift from our faithful God. It's the same kind of thing when we ask the question, and. What we're really asking is, aren't you asking for too much? from us, God? Isn't that list too long? Aren't there too many things that that you're calling from us to do? When you ask for our, our faithfulness, our holiness, our offerings, our service, our time, etc., isn't that just too much? And again, I'll admit There are times when it feels hard, when it feels like we are being asked a lot. But let's look at the reality of that. First of all, we have to admit that it's pretty clear that if we want to have good things in our life, that if we expect blessings and and enjoy comforts of this life, that in order to get those things, there are going to have to be some hard things that we have to do. You don't have to be a Christian to recognize that. Even an atheist will be able to tell you that if you want to have a good life, it's better not to cheat your way through life. An atheist would be able to tell you that you'll have a better life if you don't get addicted to anything, let alone something that's going to harm you or or hurt your body and your mind in any way, shape, or form. An, An atheist would be able to tell you that it's better for you if you stay committed to your marriages, that it's better if you don't have a child before you're married, and on and on the list could go. Yes, God's rules for us sometimes seem hard to follow and, and to be obedient to, obedient to. They feel like a lot is being asked of us. And yet all of that is being asked for our benefit. God is telling you, this is how you live in the world that I created, your best, most blessed way. And so obedience to him isn't a burden, but it is the path toward a fuller, better life, even if that feels hard. And what is more, not only when God asks us of those things, but he also provides for us support as we pursue those efforts. In many ways, that's the point of the last verse. Yes, indeed, God was asking a lot of his people in this Feast of Weeks. And yet he also recognized that there would be people in the community and even outside of the community for whom life would be hard. 
that they wouldn't have all of these blessings and benefits, and they would need a way to be supported and encouraged, which is why even in this feast, God is setting up rules where they can provide for themselves through the gleaning of what was left over from other people's harvests. So that's why they couldn't cut the edges or or go over it a second time because there were people around them that would need that part of the harvest for their sustenance. And this is played out, for example, in the book of Ruth. When Ruth and Naomi come back to Israel from Moab, they depended upon these gleanings in order to sustain them and carry them forward. And we see that when God, and that's just an example, that when God does ask things of us, he provides for us and support. He does this through the giving of his word, through uh, his revelation about himself and his, his word that guides us in understanding, well, what does he want from us and how do we find that best, most blessed life? And again, as I suggested before we did the reading of the law, in modern Judaism, Because there isn't a temple that is any longer there and because they no longer go through all of these sacrifices, when they celebrate the Feast of Weeks today, the day of Pentecost, that 50th day, what they are celebrating now is God's giving of his word on Mount Sinai to Moses. The book of Exodus refers to that taking place in the third month, and they thought, saw that this day happened in the third month, and so rather than celebrating the harvest and agricultural focus, the modern Jew would celebrate the day of Pentecost, the, the day of first fruits, this feast of weeks, as a celebration of God giving his word on Mount Sinai. Which again is where we see that when God calls us to live a certain life, he equips us with instructions and how to do it. But what is even more than that is as we as New Testament Christians, we recognize how he's equipped us in two other fuller ways. Yes, God asks a lot of us, but again, like we did last week, we remember what he has first and foremost given to us. In the giving of his very son on the cross, Jesus set the example and Jesus gave everything he had, even his very life, in order that you might be saved, in order that you might be equipped to live the kind of life he calls us to live. But after he rose from the grave and after he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to wait to return to Jerusalem and his Holy Spirit would come out on them. And his Holy Spirit did indeed come out on them. When? On the day of Pentecost. Fifty days later, during this feast, the Holy Spirit came. And not only in that particular moment did it provide an opportunity when all of these Israelites had gathered to celebrate this feast and there was a great audience from all around the world that could hear of the good news of what had happened in Jesus Christ and a harvest of over 3,000 were baptized on that very day. We know that to this very day, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit is still with us. To encourage us, to guide us, to comfort us, to convict us, and to lead us in the way. So that, again, the whole point being that when God does ask of us things that are hard, he doesn't say, and good luck following through. 
but every step along the way he equips us and provides for us so that we indeed can do the very thing that he is asking of us. And in light of all that he has given to us, in light of his word and his son and his spirit, is there any possible way where we could say, but God, what you're asking of us, that's too much. That's too far. That's too much time. That's too much money. That's too much effort. I'm drawing the line here. So yes, going all the way back to the beginning, I will confess that it's wonderful to celebrate Pentecost and our forgiveness in Christ. But it's also very challenging to know that God calls us in light of what he has done for us to be and live as different people. And that can feel really hard. Where we are led to ask at times, again? And that? Yes, God not only only demands our first fruits, but he demands our full and continuing obedience. But in asking those things, we praise him that those things are for our benefit, for his glory, and that he never asks us to do anything he doesn't provide for us to do. And so, instead of complaining or struggling, let us again praise and thank our God for all of his good gifts and give him all that he asks from us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, again, as fallen and sinful creatures, we confess that there is much of this broken and sinful world that our hearts, our minds, our bodies are drawn toward that are not good. And yet we struggle, and in that struggle it can feel hard to be the people that you have called us to be, to stand against the temptations that come our way and to be committed to you and to full obedience. But in that, Lord, I thank you, first of all, for your gifts, for your word that guides us, for your son that sacrificed himself and and provided us not only example, but the path toward reconciliation with you and your spirit that continues to encourage us and live among us and guide us in our desires to grow in our relationship with you and to be the people that you have called us to be. May we take advantage of those gifts. And may we never be so stuck in ourselves that we complain about what you ask of us but in recognition of everything you have given to us, may we always be ready to offer everything that we are back to you in faithful obedience. Again, in the struggles that we face, may we know of the presence of your spirit. May the encouragement of this community guide and support us. And may we be faithful to our commitment to serve you in all that we are. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.